Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for the assurance of your faithfulness. Thank you for the assurance of the fact that you are a forgiving God. We come before you recognizing the fact that you are the only true and loving God and beside you there is none other. You are the all-powerful one, the all-knowing God, the one who's present everywhere. But you are a loving God even though you know us so well. You are a forgiving God. And so we worship you this afternoon for who you are, a good God, a gracious God, a God who is not only our creator, but also our redeemer. Because you sent your son, your only son, to become our savior by dying on the cross. And he took the penalty for our sin. The wages of sin is separation from God. He bore that penalty on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we bow in your presence today for your love and your grace that motivated you to give him for us. And today we come with a full knowledge that we can only stand in your presence, the Holy God, because of the blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, shed for us your life, his life given for us. Thank you for that. Lord, as commanded in your word, we pray for those who rule over us. And we pray, first of all, again, as is indicated in your word, that they might come to know the only true and living mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And that for all those who lead us who have not yet placed faith in this unique mediator might do so because they recognize that it's only in his name that we can be reconciled to a holy God. We pray for those who are ill, our Father, this time, those who are in hospital. They may be experiencing pain or discomfort because of surgery or other illness. Father, whatever the case may be, we ask right now that you might put your good hand of healing upon them and give some relief from pain, from discomfort. Cause them to realize that you're right there in the hospital bed with them, in the hospital room with them. We pray the same for our shut-ins, the older folk, the aged, those who are ill and cannot come out to fellowship and to share with others. We pray for them that you might Again, give them a sense of your presence so that they, mind, they might realize that they are never alone, but that you are always with them. Lord, give them that assurance right now. We pray for those in the old folk homes, the people's homes. We pray special blessing upon them that you might care for them right now and assure them of your love and your concern. Lord, we pray for the state of our country at this time, the moral corruption and the violence that is rampant everywhere. The young people who seem to be running around our country without restraint. There seems to be an overall and a perversive sense of 
a lack of uh, respect for order um, from both young and old. Lord, we just pray that you might, by your Holy Spirit, touch the hearts of the people of this nation and turn them back to you. Father, may we really become to be known again as a nation characterized by righteousness rather than by sin. Father, we claim to be a nation that has been founded on Christian principles and one that is influenced by those truths we get from the scriptures and is even uh, in the preamble of our constitution, but yet, Father, we are so far away from that in actual practice. So we pray, Lord, that you might help us truly to conform to that which we profess. And we know it comes, first of all, by personal faith in Jesus Christ. So we pray for an awakening in our country. Lord, we pray for a genuine spiritual renewal and revival, renewal for your people, revival for your people, and, and a spiritual awakening for those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. We are convinced and know that it is only Jesus Christ who can turn this nation around. So, Father, we pray that we might, by your grace, see this happen in the very near future. Turn us back to God, we pray. Now, bless our time together, and we pray that your name might be uplifted and glorified. But above all, Father, as we go into your word, that we might be true to your word. And we thank you already for the assurance that you've given us that your word will never return void but it will accomplish the purpose for which you send it forth every time the word is proclaimed. So may we be true to your word. May we, may we be accurate so that the people who hear will hear not the word of man, but the word of God. We pray as we give you thanks in our Savior's name. Amen and amen. Well, you know, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to pray. Sometimes you feel like you don't want to stop because we know that the Holy God, the God of the universe, our great creator and also our redeemer is listening to us. And he has committed himself, he has promised to respond, to answer in keeping with his will for us. And we're so thankful for that. And he says, if we pray anything according to his word, his will, he will hear and he will respond. And we thank God for that. You know, some people who, there's some people who really teach today that we don't have to pray if it's God's will. Because it's not God's will, they say, that we're looking for, it's our will. And so we should not pray asking if it's God's will. But he should, we should pray seeking our own will to be done. It's amazing the kind of things that we hear being taught as the Word of God today. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Because, friends, you know, I've come to a point now, uh, I'm getting on in, in years now, and I'm seeing things perhaps in a little bit more of a uh, newer perspective, as it were. And I am really disturbed at the way I see the Word of God being handled today. And so, today, I want to address an extremely disturbing trend regarding the way Christians use the Bible. Now, actually, it has been going on for quite a long time. In fact, we could say it is actually ingrained within the very fabric of the modern Christian's way of life. In other words, it seems now just to be something Christians supposed to do. Sadly, it's been perpetrated even by those of us who are supposed to be models and examples 
as teachers of the Word of God. In fact, we are probably responsible to a large degree anyway for the sad state of affairs that we'll be addressing today. I am referring, of course, to the way in which Christians actually rip, and I'm using that word on purpose. We rip or tear verses of Scripture and even passages out of the biblical context. And then we still boldly declare that we are preaching or teaching or proclaiming the Word of God, even though we've taken the verses that we are preaching or teaching out of context. Very few believers, including pastors and teachers, seem to have any concern today that the Bible has 66 books, all written to a specific recipient or recipients for a specific purpose. They simply look for words or phrases that either agree with what they already believe or want to believe. They only look for the words that sound good, sound favorable, and take them out of context and say, God is speaking to me, and God is giving me this message for you. This is the word of God. They would have selected verses that provide promises for today that they choose from without any regard for the context at all. But they never include the consequences for disobedience or sin in these promised boxes. Isn't that amazing? The only thing that occurs or placed in those promised boxes are good things, not the consequences or the commands to do things that many of us want to do or not want to do. And so a person on his or her way to work, for instance, already an hour or two late by design, with no intention to make the time up or to report it to the boss or to show it on their time slips, they pick up a promise as they go. And the promise says, God will be with you in your going out and coming in. And they go to work late with no intention to make up for it or to make it known with the idea is God is going to bless them. Why? Because they picked up a, vo a verse of scripture that says that God is going to be with them in the going in and the going out. And even though they're stealing from their bosses, they take the voice, they take the verse as a voice from God. Isn't that amazing? But we do it all the time in the name of God. I like this comment from Dr. Daniel B. Wallace referring to this practice is a lengthy quote, but I want to read it. He is a professor at the Dallas Theological Seminary. This is what he says, quote, Sometimes believers say silly things like, God gave me a verse today. Now you ask, what's wrong with that? Well, two things. First, this approach to Scripture does not honor the divine authorship of Scripture. You see, God gave the verse at least 1,900 or more years ago. You may have discovered it today, but it's been there all along. You simply haven't read the Word or studied the Word. And to say that God gave a verse today is really an existential, an existential statement. It's been said as though the Bible didn't become alive until we read it a certain way. 
But my friends, revelation has ceased. It's all there in the book for us. The book of Hebrews makes this clear. This man of speaking almost sounds as if revelation continues today. Now, I know there's some people who believe that, by the way. But let me get back to the quote. This man of speaking almost sounds as if some of revelation continues. But the work of the Spirit today is decidedly not on the cognitive level. He's not bringing us new, re new revelation. His work in relation to the Bible is primarily in realm of illumination and conviction. He helps to drive home the messages of the Bible once it is properly understood. Second, this God gave me a verse today approach to scripture does not honor the human authorship of the Bible. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, for instance, he wrote a coherent, holistic message. He never intended for someone a couple of thousands years later to take the verses out of their context and wield them in any way they choose and say it is the word of God. End of quote. That's by Daniel B. Wallace. My friends, I agree with what he says here. And that's what motivated or one of the motivations for my talk with you today. This approach to handling the Word of God is not only an abuse of Scripture, but it also shows a total lack of respect for what it is as the Word of God and not the Word of man. And when we handle the Bible this way, we turn the Bible into what I call a voodoo magical type of document rather than the divinely inspired Word of God. Words coming from the very lips of God. Words which are the breathing out of God, breathing out of the thoughts and will of God. That's what it means for the Bible to be inspired. It is the words breathed out by God. Now, the sad and deadly result of this kind of approach to the Bible is that those who do it as a way of life or calling, I'm talking about preachers and teachers, they then proceed to authoritatively proclaim it as the word of God. And sadly, unthinking, gullible people, some truly hungry for the word of God, receive it as being the word of God without examining it for themselves, not realizing that it is being torn out of context and what is being proclaimed is no longer the word of God, but it is the word of man. And so they receive the word of man as the word of God and think they will be blessed for doing so. My friends, that's the sad thing about all of this. And this is the thing that presses upon my soul today. So many people are being misled and fooled because of the way the Word of God is handled today. L listen carefully to what God has to say about His Word. In Isaiah chapter 55, I'm going to read verses 10 through 12 so we can get the context. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Now listen, verse 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. 
This is a beautiful description of the inspiration of Scripture. So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty. That means void and without profit. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This is a powerful verse of Scripture describing beautifully what it means when we say that the Word of God is the inspired Word of God. Notice carefully, God promises to bless His Word. Not what we say about His Word, not His Word taken out of context. God promises to bless His Word and causes it to accomplish what He intends. This is true every time the Word of God is proclaimed. Every time the Word of God is read, He accomplishes a purpose for it being read, for it being preached, if it is preached accurately. Now listen carefully, and here's the point. God is not promising in this passage to bless what we say about His Word. Ah, words about His Word does not contain life. It's only His Word that contains life, not what we say about it. His Word, His Word only contains life. It's quick and powerful. Our comments on His Word do not bring life, does not bring conviction. Only His Word does that, my friend. Only His Word. Notice also, by the way, how scientifically, how scientifically correct Isaiah's description of condensation is. And he wrote this hundreds of years before scientific instruments were available to discover the process. Listen to what he says. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. How did he know all of this? It was inspired. It was breathed out by God. Notice now, Isaiah is inspired by, is, is moved by God to write these words and use this illustration to show the effectiveness of the word of God. Surely, my friends, the Bible is what it claims to be, the inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word of God. This natural process of condensation, which is always operative and always effective, is used by God as an illustration or example of the effects and impact of His Word whenever and wherever it is faithfully and accurately proclaimed. But now here is the key thing to remember. The promise is only true when His Word is proclaimed faithfully and accurately. And when it is, He will and always does bless or achieve a divine purpose when His Word is presented in such a fashion. His Word has life-giving power inherent within it, but not when used willy-nilly 
and taken out of context. In fact, Paul tells us in Corinthians that we can actually dilute the gospel when it is not presented properly. We can water it down. We could make it almost useless. The word of God is only powerful and life-giving when it is given as intended for it to be given by God. When it is proclaimed as it is, not what we want to make it to be. Now, I really believe today, my friends, that preaching has done a lot of harm to the Church of Jesus Christ. Wow, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, listen carefully. I believe it's because we have taken the focus off the message itself and put it on the messenger. We are more concerned as how the word is presented as to what it says, rather than what it says. We are more drawn to a charismatic, vibrant, positive type of preaching than we are to simply listening to what the Word of God says. We would clap. We would listen to all the jokes. And we would say, that's a great sermon. Wasn't he tremendous? And then we go out and we don't remember a thing of what he said other than the jokes and how he said it. But the Word of God is not remembered at all. And so the focus has been on the preacher rather than the Word. And so we have good preachers. But we have a drought when it comes to the true teaching of the Word of God. My friends, the thought to ponder is that God promises to bless His Word not what is said about his word, not how it is said. And so therefore, whenever we use his word to try to make it say what it is not saying is to twist his word. Mature Christians use the word as it is meant to be used, as the word of God and not the word of man. Using the word of God as workmen who need not be ashamed, it enables us to cut a right path to be able to discern truth from error and good from evil. That's how a mature individual handles the Word of God. The problem is, however, is that most Christians, including preachers and teachers, are either too lazy to study the Bible as it should be studied, or they simply do not know how to do so and don't want to invest the time in learning how to study the Bible. That's it. We have a dearth of Bible students today. And not just those in the pews, but those in the pulpit as well. And one of the new phenomenons that has happened now is the internet. You can go on the internet and download all the sermons you want and then just parrot them again before your people. How sad the state of preaching the word is today in the church. Now, what I'm going to do when we come back, we're going to take a break. I'm going to give you some examples of how the word of God is used in a careless way. How, whether by intent or neglect or just plain ignorance, the word of God is twisted. 
and yet it is being proclaimed as the Word of God. We're going to look at some examples of this, but let me give you the numbers in case you want to call, make questions, or make some comments or ask questions. The numbers are 322-7846. That's 322-7846 or 326-0800, 326-0800. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to give some examples of how the Word of God is misused because of taking out of context or not studying it well. Our numbers are 322-7846 or 326-0800. 322-7846 or 326-0800. We invite your questions or comments. Now, as promised, let me give you some examples of what I call scripture twisting, either by design or unintentionally, or perhaps just out of ignorance. Proverbs 29, verse 18, as translated in the King James Version of the Bible, reads in this way, quote, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, most of the time this particular verse is read, only the first part is read, where there is no vision, the people perish, but the second part of it, but he that keepeth the law happy as he is not read. In other words, it's taken out of context. You see, many use this verse today to encourage and even entice others to buy into their goals for their ministry. They claim to have a vision from God, meaning that God has given them a great plan, a great idea or dream for his people in the future. And that if the people don't support them in that vision, they will perish. Because God has given the, the leader a vision of the future to save them. Now they mean, of course, in most cases, that the people will not prosper financially or spiritually if they don't buy into this vision of the future. Many churches, in fact, today have vision statements based, they say, on this verse. But oddly, the statements themselves very rarely reflect the meaning of the passage. Is this verse really speaking about a big ministry plan or a big business plan of the future? Or is this scripture twisting intentionally or otherwise? I believe it is scripture twisting for a very simple reason. The Hebrew word in this passage, translated vision in the King James Version, is hazon, H-A-Z-O-N, is a transliteration of it. And this word vision actually refers to divine communication from God or revelation from God to his prophets. The same word is used in 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. Listen to what it says. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and the word from the Lord was rare in those days, visions, that is, revelations from God 
or a word from God was infrequent. You see, the word translated vision, therefore, refers to divine revelation from God. It refers to the word of God. It does not refer to individual goals for the future. It has nothing to do with a business plan. This is made clear if the rest of the passage is taken into consideration. Unfortunately, most who use this verse to emphasize their big plan, their big vision for the future, do not include it in their presentation. They translate it divine guidance. That's how it's translated by some. In other words, this is what the passage is saying. If there is no revelation from God, if there's no word from God, people can expect spiritual or political anarchy. There is no guidance from God so that people do what is right in their own eyes. The entire verse reads in this fashion. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But, here's the contrast now, he that keepeth the law, happy is he. You see that but? This comes with Bible study now. You're not going to get it just by looking at it briefly or skimming over it. It indi but indicates a strong contrast to what was said previously. What the passage is saying, therefore, may be paraphrased like this. Where there is no divine word from God, the people will experience calamity or they will go astray. But where there is obedience to the revealed word of God, there is peace and contentment. That's what the passage is saying. You see, the word law in this text is equivalent to divine revelation. It refers to a way of life, not just a code in this passage. The message is that the one who lives out the revealed word and will of God will experience joy, peace, and happiness as a way of life. There may be rough times and sad times, of course, but his life overall will be one of peace and joy. And so this verse, Proverbs 29, 18, may therefore be correctly interpreted as follows or translated in this fashion, quote, Where there is no revelation from God, the people will go astray. But he who obeys the revealed God, word of God will be blessed. That's what the passage is saying. It's talking about the word of God being followed if life is to be blessed. It has nothing to do with a big idea or a big plan. And so when people get up before you and say that God has given me a big plan for you, this is my vision, and God says where there is no vision, the people will perish. Well, I have a vision, and then they go to share a big plan. That's not the word of God. That's their word, but it's not the word of God. God is saying what causes people to go astray. It's not some big plan that a person might have, but rather it's obedience to his revealed word. And where there is no revealed word and no obedience to that revealed word, the people go amok. They go astray. That's what the passage is saying. How many times have you heard it preached differently? That's a careless handling of the word of God. And it is not the word of God that is being proclaimed, but rather the word of man. Be sure then to distinguish between a big dream schemed up by man 
and divine revelation given by God in his word. One leads to departure from the will of God. The other leads to blessing because his word, God's word, is being followed and obeyed. I want you to hear a passage of scripture from the word of God from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 23, verse 25. And I'm just going to read the passage for you and let the Holy Spirit speak to you because the words I'm going to read now are the words that are being breathed out by God. Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning at verse 25. Hear the breathing out of the word of God. The Lord says, I have heard what those prophets who are prophesying lies in my name are saying. They are saying, I have had a dream. I have had a dream. Those prophets are just prophesying lies. They are prophesying the delusions of their own minds. How long will they go on plotting to make my people forget who I am through the dreams they tell one another? That is just as bad as what their ancestors did when they forgot who I am by worshiping the god Baal. Let the prophet who has had a dream go ahead and tell his dream. And let the person who has received my message report that message faithfully. Did you get that? Let the person who has received my message report that message faithfully. What is like straw can in no way compared to what is like grain. I, the Lord, affirm it. Is not my message like a fire that purges dross? Is it not like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? I, the Lord, so affirm it. So I, the Lord, affirm that I am opposed to those prophets who steal messages from one another that they claim are from me. I, the Lord, affirm that I am opposed to those prophets who are just using their own tongues to declare the Lord declares. Now get that, guys. He's saying that these people are saying the Lord says it, and he isn't saying it at all. That's using the name of the Lord in vain. Verse 32. I, the Lord, affirm that I am opposed to those prophets who dream up lies and report them. They are misleading my people with their reckless lies. I did not send them, and I did not commission them, and they are not helping these people at all. I, the Lord, affirm it. That's the word of God. That's the breathing out of the breath of God. Let me give you another example of the misuse of Scripture. Ecclesiastes 10.19. Listen to the quote. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. End of quote. Isn't that amazing? Now, when this passage is used, the only thing that is read is the last part of the verse. Money is the answer for everything. Everything else is left out. It's taken out of context. Some use this verse as a basis to encourage believers to do what is 
whatever is necessary to get rich. Why? Because money is the answer for everything, and therefore you need to get all the money you can get. Others use the same verse as a means to entice their congregation to give a good offering. After all, money is the answer to everything, and we need to get things going in this church. We need to get new furniture. We need to get to pay the light bills. Money is the answer to everything. My friends, this is another example of ripping a verse out of its context and coming up with a message that is not from God, but is a word from man. Let's read the entire context and see if we get a difference in meaning. Let's begin at verse 16, not from verse 19. Woe to you, O land, whose king was a servant and whose princess, whose princess feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. If a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. Now, if you read the entire passage and you take time to study it, the context is clear. It is only those who carouse and party who believe that money is the answer to everything. For them, if they have the money, they can live this life of carousing and partying all the time. It's only the party animals who think that money is the answer to everything. Because remember now, Solomon says elsewhere, for instance, in Proverbs eleven twenty-eight, he says, he who trusts in his riches will fall. That's Solomon. He also says in Proverbs 22, verse 1, a good name is to be more desired than great riches. Favor is better than silver and gold. That's Solomon. Now let's go to the, to the New Testament for a moment and listen to the Apostle Paul. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, hear the word of God. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Notice carefully now, verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. End of quote. And so then, my friends, for the Christian, money is not the answer to everything. That's what the party animal thinks, who wants to go on partying all the time. And if he had the money, he'll have the answer to his desires. For a child of God, however, a godly life based on obedience to the word of God is the answer to everything. Because as Peter tells us, God has given us everything that pertains to life and to godliness. My friends, 
Do you see what happens when we take the word out of context? Now, we only have just about 13 minutes left in the program. We haven't got a call. We'd love to hear from you. Question or comment concerning what the issue we, or subject we're talking about today. I'm going to go on, of course, and I'm going to give you another example. But I'm going to have a break first, then I'm going to give another example. We go to the end of the program. Numbers that you can call 322-7846 or 326-0800. Just a few more moments in the program. Okay, we're back and we just have about 10 more minutes left. Again, we encourage you to call in to us before we close out. I have one more example to give you. Let me give you the numbers again. Final time. 322-7846. That's 322-7846. Or 326-0800. 326-0800. First Thessalonians 5.22 says, Avoid every appearance of evil. You've heard that, haven't you? And perhaps that's all you've heard. You haven't heard the whole context. Many use this verse to force others to accept their view of matters that fall into what we call the gray areas, you know, things that might not be explicitly or plainly stated in Scripture. The Christian Paul calls the weak in Romans 14, for instance, who believe that you shouldn't go to a restaurant with a bar, shouldn't play cards or shoot pool or go to the movies and so on. And they say that you shouldn't associate with these folk because we are told to avoid every appearance of evil. I think we have a call. Hello, you on ECB, talking it through biblically. I'm fine, how are you? Alan Lee. Yes, that's right, Alan Lee. Oh, yes. Hey, good to hear from you. Yes, I'd like to listen to you. And I just was a little disappointed when you say, um, I, I surprised, like, you know, other talk shows will be coming on soon or what he man being on for 4 30. And I think you'll come on once a month on Thursday for once a week. We come on weekly, every Thursday. Okay. And I, mean, I don't know if it's about you not, from, I mean, you all need to do more promotion, promotion and stuff, but because you get a lot of people listening to talk shows. They're not, not, not uh, just Christian people, but people that who listen to all shows, them and, they just calling, but I don't want them to be fooled or they're you. I think they know. They know you make a lot of sense. I guess they enjoy just listening like me sometimes. Well, some have said Mm. Stuff like mm. that, and it's more better to do more for God. You know what I say? A lot of my grandma used to tell me stuff. 
Only what you do for God and ask. And I even feel guilty because I feel like I can do more and I don't get a chance to do it. And I think about people that were already passed away. Like, you know, not just Michael Jackson, but even Michael Jackson who touched a lot of people. And I know I get long, that's all right. I say to myself, I just wish you to do more because I think it was easy. And I say that to myself too. Only what you do for God and ask, you can do all kind of things in this world, have all kind of plans and...
verse 22 has the idea of stay away from bad or counterfeit doctrine. The instruction then in verses 19 through 22 of this passage has nothing to do with our lifestyle. It has to do with how we receive the word of God and how we must examine it and evaluate it and throw away the false and only hold on to what is true. Now, if it were true that we were to flee every appearance of evil, Jesus Christ would be a bad example for us. Because with someone who did not flee every appearance of evil was Jesus Christ. He ate with the sinners, with the thieves and the robbers and the prostitutes and the adulterers. He was accused of being a wine bibler. Why? Because he associated with evildoers, because he was a physician who came to heal the sick. And so he had to associate with them. And so you see, what I'm trying to say here, my friends, if we, especially to those who want to be teachers, listen to the warning of James. Not at all of you should be teachers because we will face the greater judgment. If you preach or teach the word of God, then I say to you, take time to study the word, take time to read the word properly, be sure that when the word is proclaimed, it is God's word that is proclaimed and not the word of man. Don't let your congregation hang on to your words for life because your words have no life in them. Be sure that you give the word of God because it is the word of God and the word of God alone that is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to give us life. May God help us then to be those who handle the word of God accurately so we would not be ashamed in that day. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. Easy, 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 excellence in Christian broadcasting.